It's Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 41K podcast. Uh, today, I believe, is the 151st episode. So, didn't mention last week it was 150. You know, when you share, uh, save the uh, file, and then all of a sudden it pops up that it's number 150. Uh, but uh, it's a podcast, uh, not a TV sitcom, so there's no point in taking, uh, uh, making a very special episode with uh, bits and bytes of all the uh, podcasts over the years including that one where uh, uh, the Audacity program wasn't working, so uh, the 30 minutes we recorded was uh, empty, but neither here nor there. Anyway, this week's topic, we're going to talk about the unpleasant facts for plan sponsors concerning their full 1K plan. Of course, first things first, uh, our live event's coming back up in September. Very excited about that. September 10th, we are going to be live in St. Louis, Bush Stadium. September 24th, Minneapolis. Uh, Target Field, September 29th, we're going to be in Planet Houston at Minute Maid Park. September 10th, our guest is Al Roboski. September 24th, our guest is going to be uh, Twins legend Tony Oliva. And on September 29th, Phil Garner, uh, manager of the uh, former manager of the Astros, took him to the World Series against the Sox, White Sox. Also a member of the 79 Pirates and the 86 Astros, who lost the Nets. Go to that for 1ksite.com for further information on how you can sign up. And the way things are going, uh, you know, our fingers are crossed that we will be live in September. You never know what tomorrow will bring uh, as we uh, deal with the Delta variant and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think as everybody knows, ad nauseum, my favorite movie of all time is Airplane. Uh, and there's a great line where Dr. Rumack, played by Leslie Nielsen, tells uh, Elaine, uh, played by Julie Haggerty, uh, Elaine, can you deal with some unpleasant facts? And she's like, no. Uh, and of course, you know, I, 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 for the for the first year or so of that 401k conference, I would do a uh, presentation where I would take lines from the movie Airplane and explain the movie Airplane out. And uh, one of my favorite facts about Airplane was uh, everyone assumes that it is a send-up of the airport movies. Yes, there are references to Airport 75, mainly Charlotte Zucker, the Zucker brothers' mother, uh, played the poor woman uh, who was in the uh, bathroom uh, in the lavatory when everything goes crazy, and so she was doing makeup and, um, uh, you know, poor, you know, uh, took uh, lipstick and it went all over her face. That's a play on Martha Ray in Airport 79, I think. Actually, not, it was, I, I, actually, I think it was Airport 79, where I think she, it was, I think it was Airport 79, I don't think it was 75, where she says, I, I broke the bathroom and, she, you know, she had problems in the bathroom. Might have been 75, I have to say, sure. But Lorna Patterson singing to the sick girl, the sick girl, um, in the uh, movie was played by uh, Jill Whelan. Uh, in, in, Air, in, in Airplane was played by Jill Whelan, Jill Whelan, who was known as Captain Steubing's daughter on The Love Boat. And in the movie, it was Linda Blair from The Exorcist in Airport 75. The nun in Airport 75 was Helen Reddy. Um, and in Airport 79, Lorna Patterson, the stewardess, uh, does the singing. Um, complete total send-up of it. But, you know... Um, the airplane movie is almost a line for line um, with added jokes and whatnot taken from the movie Zero Hour, which was an actual movie uh, written by Alex Haley, who eventually did write the original airport novel. He also did Hotel, which got turned into a TV series. 
And the funny part of it was, yes, uh, Zero Hour also deals with a guy by the name of Ted Stryker, who has a war record um, and is forced to take over a airplane after the um, pilots and the rest of the crew eat bad fish. Yes, it really did happen. Uh, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar character is as a result because uh, one of the co-pilots in the movie, Zero Hour, played by former L.A. Ram, Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch, and I believe the, uh, I forgot who the other captain was, but Sterling Hayman's in the movie. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch, so if you ever on YouTube take Airplane and Zero Hour, they actually have split scenes where you could see the lines taken verbatim from, uh, you know, taken from zero hour and put in an airplane. So anyway, as the turn in the punch bowl, there are a lot of unpleasant facts for plant sponsors to deal with. Number one is they are a fiduciary whether they like it or not, you know, and, you know, being a plant fiduciary for a plant sponsor means they're responsible for the retirement assets of all their employees. And being responsible uh, means they, you know, have to have a greater duty of care um, than handling their own money. And, of course, you know, that duty of care, you breach it, it may result in personal liability. Plan sponsor certainly can always delegate uh, some or all that duty to a retirement plan provider willing to serve as an investor fiduciary. But a plan sponsor can never really fully eliminate it. So when, you know, a um, plan sponsor... Um, you know, hired a TPA, Vantage Benefits, who was serving as a 316 as well, and they stole money. Plant sponsor was still had some liability as a result of hiring somebody who was embezzling millions of dollars from their plan. So, um, so if a plant sponsor can never fully eliminate it, it's all their job to minimize it as much as they can, and that's by uh, being proactive, by being, you know, asking questions, by reviewing the plan and whatnot. And one thing plan sponsors can never do is they can never do it on their own unless they are a TPA in it of themselves. And I'll have to say some of the worst run plans I've been involved with as a participant were TPA 401k plans because, you know, as the story goes, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. But for those that are not in the retirement plan business, uh, plan sponsors certainly can't go it alone. They don't have the background. They can't handle, you know, a compliance test and all the stuff that goes around, the 5,500s. Um, they need a financial advisor. Certainly, you could, you know, people can handle their own investments. You know, I think I do a half-decent job. Um, but, you know, plan sponsors certainly need to manage uh, the retirement money of their employees. And the best way to do that is to hire a financial advisor to do that as well. And then, you know, of course, the risk attorney, the plan auditor, these are the plan providers that a plan sponsor needs. Of course, one of the problems, if someone makes a mistake, the plan sponsor is still on the hook for liability. Um, you know, I have, you know, over the last 23 years, you, you have clients upset and complaining about, you know, the compliance headaches they have, and it's as a result of hiring a, a bad TPA, and that's why I always say, with all due respect to the other plan providers, the most important plan provider to hire is a third-party administrator who's going to assist the plan sponsor with day-to-day -day administration of 401k plan. Um, you know, obviously the problem with the TPA is the work is labor-intensive. It's prone to mistakes. Um, 
you know, the mistakes can be made by the CPA. Mistakes can be made based on incorrect information provided by the plan sponsor. Um, you know, if a mistake is made, the TPA usually doesn't re recognize that error. Uh, you know, unfortunately, it may take years and years to find the error, either by the new TPA or by a government order. You know, that whole idea of a fresh set of eyes to look at things. You know, I remember years ago when I, you know, when I was working on a TPA, uh, I was hired. And um, since I made so little and the head, head attorney made three times as much, uh, they, were, they, they fired him and took me and, and gave me the promotion and uh, a measly $5,000 raise. Um, I didn't think his work was very good. I, I was very surprised with somebody who was making that kind of money with that kind of experience to make big mistakes. Uh, number one mistake he did was safe harbor contributions. He conditioned it on hours and or last day, which he you know, could never do. Uh, and then the other mistake was uh, he made a glaring uh, control group issue. Uh, he, he came out with the wrong analysis of a control group issue. That it was clearly a control group, but he had screwed up. Um, but, you know, like I said, that whole fresh set of eyes, he never would have picked up that error. He made the error. Um, you know, uh, if the errors are serious, um, you know, unfortunately, and they're detected on a government audit, it's obviously going to be more expensive for the plan sponsor to fix it if they found that, you know, instead of finding it on their own. Um, you know, obviously, errors run the gamut. Some can be easily fixed. Some are very large. Um... You know, another catastrophe could be the failure to file a Form um, 5500. Uh, and there's nothing more insulting really for a 4K plan sponsor to get a huge bill for like $100,000 for a missing Form 5500. Um, obviously, plan providers have errors in mission policies, fiduciary liability policies, and all that stuff. Uh, but it really doesn't, you know, give solace to the plan sponsor who still will be on the hook for liability. That's why it's important for plan sponsors to find good plan providers who know exactly what they are doing. Um, you know, another unpleasant fact is dealing with fee disclosures and costs. Um, you know, a plan sponsor has the fiduciary duty to pay only reasonable plan expenses. Um, when the plan is paying those expenses, um, prior to 2012, we didn't have fee disclosures. So it was kind of a pain in the rear end as a plan sponsor when you have a fiduciary duty to only pay reasonable plan expenses when your plan providers didn't have to provide you with the expenses that they were charging to the plan. Um, thanks to the fee disclosures, um, plan sponsors know. But the problem is, is too many um, plan sponsors just do nothing with these uh, disclosures. They, they put them in the back of the file. They throw it out. Um, plan sponsors, you know, have to determine reasonableness, and the only way to do that is to go out there and determine if the fees being charged are reasonable or not. That means, you know, using a benchmarking service, the 401k averages book, or just going out and seeking other plan providers. Um, and, you know, of course, the problem with fee disclosure is too many plan sponsors means that that's some kind of marching order to only pay um, the cheapest. Um, you know, find the cheapest provider and only pay the cheapest, uh, you know, expenses. Um, 
you know, you have a fiduciary duty. Plan sponsors have fiduciary duty to pay reasonable plan expenses, not the lowest again. Obviously, that means a plan sponsor can certainly pay more if they get more. Uh, that's up to them. They want to pay for white glove treatment. They could certainly do. Uh, I think that picking a plan provider just because they're cheapest is, is, is an absolutely bad idea. I've seen it blow up in a plan, space, a plan sponsor's face too many times. You know, you don't... I remember when I started my own practice, when I was still working for another TPH, uh, you know, I was going to do a, uh, I wanted to try out, you know, do taxes, do wills, and, and charge ludicrously low rates. I was charging like 100 bucks a will, which blew up in my face about a year ago when I had to testify uh, in a case revolving around one of the wills I drafted. Somebody was challenging it, and the challenge went nowhere, but the hassle of going to court and uh, testifying in a deposition, not a lot of fun. But the idea was, you know, charge very low for, uh, you know, uh, legal services. And I learned a very hard lesson. Nobody picks um, a plan provider because they are, um, nobody picks a, a, a an attorney because they're the cheapest. And I also learned that going really, really cheap was a bad idea because you can never make it up in volume. And I, I see sometimes with a lot of financial advisors who charge really, really low for plans, and you know, you know, when their maximum fee is like, you know, twenty thousand dollars, I think that they leave money on the table. Just like there's this um, one of these morons in my village. Um, he posts racist and really stupid Facebook posts, and he's a um, He's a real estate agent. He has his own brokerage, you know, firm, uh, and his big deal is he only pays he only he only charges one percent commission. Um, the guy's a moron, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I sold fifteen million dollars of real estate, you know, or whatever it is." And if you do the math, and he's only getting a you know, uh, you know, one percent, hundred basis points, he's only making one hundred fifty thousand dollars. And what kind of business is it? Where you forego three hundred thousand dollars, you forego four fifty to make one fifty and be proud of it. But that's again, that's a lesson that I've learned in business. Um, and of course, uh, another unpleasant fact is kind of this whole misnomer about no liability for participant directed investments. You know, participant direct investments came into the industry kind of like I did. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, they had more success and more coverage. But around the time that I joined, uh, there was a push to go to daily valuation. Um, the internet and uh, capabilities uh, would allow participants to direct their own investments and, and make it easier. And the big sell pushed by mutual co co companies was that plant participants would be liable for the gains and losses in their own accounts. And the problem is that's really a misreading of 404C. Um, you know, the idea of 404C is plan sponsors need to follow a process to provide enough information for participants to make informed investment decisions as it states in ERISA 404C. So, you know, when my old firm, and I always make fun of them, you know, sorry, Pat, but the story's too good, when, you know, she gave me a bunch of Morningstar profiles from investments that were picked by an ERISA attorney 10 years earlier, you know, that was not sufficient liability protection. Um, you know, plan sponsors need a, a fiduciary process, and that's uh, working with the financial advisor, developing a method for selecting and replacing investment options on the plan, 
and they also have to provide enough information to plan participants so they can make informed investment decisions. That means providing you know, investment education, information about the investment options offered on the plan, and what plan sponsors uh, need to understand is that you know, they have work to do um, when it comes to uh, ERISA for forcing protection for participant losses within their 401 You can't just set it and forget it. Uh, there's some work to do. Of course, the plan has to be constantly viewed. Um, you know, uh, children's clothes, you know, my, my children, my son, I remember when he was born, uh, those newborn outfits didn't work at all as soon as he came out of the hospital. And those three-month outfits didn't last longer uh, you know, as well. And, you know, plan sponsors don't realize that when they set up a 401k plan, uh, what may be good now may not be good 5 or 10 or 20 years down the line. Um, demographics of any employer changes. Uh, it may require an employer contribution. It may require some corrective action. If there's no safe harbor plan design and the plan fails discrimination testing, uh, you know, nothing in business is static and neither is a 401k plan. So it's important that a plan sponsor constantly views the 401k plan to determine whether it still fits their needs or not. And last but not least, I think it's important that plan sponsors never forget why they created their 401k plan in the first place. You know, it's an employee benefit. It's used to recruit and retain employees. Well, it should be. Um, I always goof about the, the, the coffee, the free coffee. Uh, I always goof about the free coffee because, you know, I, I've told the story. The only time when I worked at a CPA, the only time people got upset was when uh, the employer no longer provided free milk for the coffee. Uh, but a 401k plan, in my mind, is more important than... I think the only benefit that's more important is probably health insurance. I think it's important that plan sponsors understand why they put a 401k plan in the first place and why it needs to be a great plan. Um, you know, when I worked at a CPA and they took uh, our plan from Fidelity and moved it to Nationwide to, pervert, to preserve our Nationwide pricing, uh, I wasn't happy about that. Uh, but, uh, you know... Talk about a private transaction, but that's a whole other story, and that's a whole long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But I think that plan sponsors really should understand why they put plan, you know, put that plan in the first place, and why it needs to be constantly reviewed. So uh, that's that for this episode of that 401k podcast. Again, I hope you guys all will check out that 401ksite.com for our live events that are coming up. Um, I think this is, uh, you know, a great way. It's always a fun event. Uh, and um, I'm really excited about it and can't wait. So I'm starting to book my travel pretty soon. Got the hotel rooms lined up, and uh, we should have some great guests. Uh, Tony Oliva uh, in Minneapolis. This guy, uh, you know, came close, and uh, I think very shortly probably will make the Hall of Fame. I think him and Richie Allen. Uh, for the Veterans Committee for the 60s, 70s era are probably the two likelihoods uh, of getting in there. So you could be meet, meeting a future Hall of Famer. And, uh, you know, we'll have some game tickets for those who want to 
attend the games and uh, should be a lot of fun and I hope you're a part of it. Thank you. I hope to hear from you guys and tune in next week for another episode of that 401k podcast.